your loyal, loyal God that reflects yours. Lord, your chesed, your chesed, your steadfast love, your loving kindness, your loyal love, God. We honor you, bless you, um, because you first loved us. And so, God, in response to your love, we want to hear your word. We want to hear your word clear. We want to hear it accurately. But we want to have lives that absorb it, absorb it and meditate upon it, that you may be our meditation and that our lives may be transformed from the inside out. So in light of the reality of the preached word, Lord God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Mighty Jesus, our strength and our redeeming, whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that saying? Amen. Amen. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 in your Bibles. We're still on our series through Ephesians, line by line, precept upon precept, and statute upon statute. And we're still in our series, Who Am I? The Identity, the identity of the Believer. Um, we're in chapter 4, which represents, of course, a transition of sorts of the book. This is not like a different book, but Paul moves in a different and particular way under the unction of the Spirit as he writes these words. And it reads like this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and, and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity, say unity, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Um, you know, we, we're, we're in a new section of the book. We have embarked upon this, and in this new section, we are making a transition into what some would call, and I would even call, the practical or obedience parts of the book. We remember that our last times being together, we, we saw the theological framework that Paul gives for the identity of the believer and, and how that applies to the life of the believer. We saw in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, the role of the Godhead in salvation, how God the Father chose, God the Son saves, and the Holy Ghost seals. Amen to that. 14 through the, uh, 15 through the rest of the chapter, um, we see um, that, that Paul prays for biblical understanding and intimacy with God that reflects a biblical view of God. Amen to that. Then we get to chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, 10-ish, and we see that he talks about our lostness from Jesus Christ and our salvation in Jesus Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. Amen to that. Amen. 11 through 22, we see God now, tra he transitions to talk about the discrepancies and differences and separation um, between Jews and Gentiles and through the gospel, the nutritional value of God's mind being applied through the proclaimed word should practically make its way to God's people becoming one community. Amen to that. Then we get to chapter 3. The whole chapter is about the mystery of the gospel, uh, the fact that God has been working in redemptive history um, since the fall uh, to bring man back to him through Jesus Christ, and that mystery has been fully recognized and fully revealed in one person and one person only. The, the, the eternal God-man who lives in hypostasis, uh, the hypostatic union, 100% God, 100% man, two natures, one person, without the natures mixing for eternal value of one person who sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he has drafted a group of people who are to be a fundamental and functional and formation representatives of his glory, of his majesty in the earth realm. That's why verse 21 says of chapter 3, to him be glory in the church. In other words, the church is supposed to be a tabernacle, an altar, a temple, or a skeneo, a dwelling place of which God's glory can shine off of into the world. Amen to that. Now we're in chapter 4, and we're digging in some more, and now we see in relation to this that now that Paul links chapter 2 with this. Now, all of the chapters have applicational value here, but specifically, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 are now brought to fruition in how we apply this idea of unity. And what we're going to talk about today in relation to it, and I got one point, which is also the title of the message um, today, which is fight for unity. Say fight for unity. 
Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. That's a good thing because it kind of reminds me of me and my wife. We are, like I said at the first gathering, we're avid crab cake eaters. All right, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if anybody here like crab cakes. It's your boy be up on some crab cakes. I'm from D.C., so, you know, we went down to the wharf, got some bushels. You know what I'm saying? G gully wood table in the backyard, put some old newspaper, some Washington Post on the joint, right? You know what I'm saying? We dropped the bushels of crabs on top of the table. You know what I'm saying? Come out, you know, you, and, 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 and have different spread out. Oh, my God. Then you put the, 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 the thing around your neck with the little clip. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know nothing about that there. And so we ain't got them Alaskan snow crabs. We got D.C. Uh, Potomac River crabs. You know what I'm saying? And, and that make you smell like Old Bay for like a week, right? That's, you know what I'm saying? So, so what happens, right, is, is, is we, we, when we go places, we be talking about some Maryland crab cakes. I'll be like, like when you, if you have to say Maryland, they're not from there, okay? Just like if you go somewhere else and they say Philly cheese steak, if they got to say Philly, it's not, it's not a, you know, if you got to say that, you, you know, you just a chef trying to work on something, but you know what I'm saying? So, so, so what we have is one of the things we look for in crab cakes is we look for how much breading is on it. In other words, in other words if it has too much bread, it's, it's not a, it's, that, that's a pancake. That's not a crab cake. Okay, that's, you know what I'm saying? That, you know, and what we like is we like ours broiled in the oven. And so we like very little emulsification on it. Then when it comes out of the oven, amen to the glory of the king, we like, we like a little bit of dill sauce on the side. Hallelujah to the living God. And then when you touch it with the, with the fork, it just falls apart because the emulsion is only to hold it together enough to be cooked and brought to the table. But once it gets to the table, it's to be devoured. Now, let me, let me, let me, let, now see, let me, let me tell you something about that. Well, crab cakes and Christians are like the antithesis. See, a good crab cake needs to be held together with very little emulsification. But the church doesn't need just a little bit of emulsification and, and, and tightness. It needs great things to hold it together. It needs a lot to hold it together. And, the, and the, more, the more things that work together to hold it together, that is what points to the beauty and the glory of the living God in the church. And so we come to chapter 4 where we're going to talk about emulsifiers the entire chapter. We're going to talk about things that lightly hold us together, that break us up really quickly. Amen. Amen. And then amen. Then lastly, right, then lastly, right, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about in, these, in this passage, you know, what, what, are, what are the ingredients for a good Christian crab cake called the church? In other words, what does it look like for God to stitch us together practically? See, we saw that we're positionally stitched together because of the gospel. But now we got to be practical. We got to work together and, and walk together in order that we may worship together and do the will of God together. Amen. So, so, so we got one point. Fight. Fight for unity. Say fight for unity. Paul repeats his statement in chapter 1, I mean chapter 4 verse 1, with what he says in chapter 3 verse 1. He says, I therefore a prisoner. We remember that Paul being a prisoner meant that he was, he was a bound free dude. In other words, freedom meant doing what God wanted him to do, not doing what he wanted to do. So he's bound to God, but he's free because his will has been taken out of bondage because of the truth of the gospel. All right. And so now before we were Christians, we couldn't do the will of God. You, you couldn't. Don't even fry. I was a good. See, you're lying. You weren't a good person. I don't care what you didn't do. I'm talking about who you are by nature. You were formed and shaped in iniquity. That's how you were conceived. Soon as soon as the, the egg was fertilized, clad out, little sinner. OK, little sinner. All right. So don't be coming up walking. In. I've been all right all my life. I've been saved all my life. No, you're not. You're a liar. Because for chapter two, verse one through three says all of us were children of wrath. So now when you get saved, what happens is you think you were getting free, free to wild out. But you actually get freedom to live according to the will of God. So now you're free by the power of the gospel to do what God says because he empowers you to do it. So now you don't have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You don't have to work your way out. You don't have to work your jelly. You don't have to be an entrepreneurial spiritualitist. But what you have to do now is all you have to do is submit to the one who called you to his glory, who called you to his excellence, and who brought you by the price. And because you've been bought with the price, there's some demands on your life. And so when we go here in chapter in these first verses, he says, 
I'm a prisoner for the Lord. I like the fact that he said it's for the Lord and not nobody else. See, some of us are bound to other people, other things. But the Bible says, Paul says, I, I, I'm in bondage to God. See, I know you're bound to sex. I know you're bound to drugs. I know you're a cr- But let me tell you something right now. There is no greater chain to have on your life than to be chained to the Lord. I wish I had some help in Epiphany Fellowship this morning because there's some things that you need that you're attached to that God wants to unlink you from and relink you to him. Huh. And so the Bible is clear here in helping us to understand what it means to be in bondage. We're bond slaves. You can't help it. It's your nature. You've been changed. You're different. Your mind's been changed. Your will has been changed. And your affections have been changed. Therefore, he goes here and says, what does he urge him? He says, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Oh, my goodness. This is a good statement. It, 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 it is the, the, the idiomatic expression is seen a multiplicity of times. Throughout the New Testament, you'll see it in um, Colossians 1.10. We'll go to it later. You'll see it in 1 Thessalonians, and you'll see it in uh, uh, 2 Thess 1.11. But this idea of walking worthy is an interesting statement. You know, I, I could do a whole series on the word walk. I mean, I could just do a synchronic or dichronic word study on every time the word walk is used from Genesis to Revelations, put in, uh, and put them in different categories and create a series called Walk With Him. Say Walk With Him. Yeah, and so here he says walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. What does that mean? Let's look at the word walk. Walk, in, uh, specifically in, in Ephesians, points to the ethical conduct and lifestyle of the believer. The ethical conduct and lifestyle of the believer. Ethics pointing to when you get right information about God, you have the wisdom to execute that and make decisions based on it being in line with the word of God. So, 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 so I remember, uh, I remember uh, over, now this is interesting because really to walk with God, what really here, it means to walk with God, walk worthy of him, but it also means to be obedient. That's a curse word to many of us. Because obedience sounds like legalism. That's legalistic to be obedient. But obedience is because you've been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That means that if you've been bought, then you should be caught. And so now we see right here in the text, we see what God is working out in us is obedience. Say obedience. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23, you know, this, this cool, tall dude, the Bible says he was fine in the mug. That's what it says in the text. He was tall among, his, among the tribe, and, you know, he was fly with his, had nice gear, was smooth, the coolest dude in his clan, tallest dude, smoothest dude, um, and everybody liked him. He prophesied a couple of times. Good dude, right? So one day, you know, he decided that he, the prophet told him what to do. But now what he goes and does is he goes and not waits on the prophet. The prophet Samuel said, wait till I get there. Then I'm going to do a sacrifice. When I get there, and we're going to do a sacrifice based on God blessing you to win this war. So they like this, looking at their watches, like, Samuel taking a long time, man. No, Samuel ain't coming. He said, all right, take the spoils of the war, which they weren't supposed to do, start grappling with it, and then what he did, know what he did? He sacrificed, which he wasn't supposed to do or authorized to do. And he had the people sacrificing. So big Samuel shows up. You know, Samuel was a gully prophet. He was the first of the regime of the new prophets, right? He comes through and watch, looks at him, saying, yo, Saul, what's good, man? What y'all in here doing? You know what I'm saying? What's, what's up? I smell smoke. I smell herbs on the altar. I smell grilling happening, right? He said, he said what have you done? What is this that you've done? Oh, man, you was taking a while, and you know we got the people worshiping. We got, the, we got, we, we got sacrifices. Come on and get some of this. Samuel said, what did God tell you to do? Did he tell you to do a sacrifice? Well, you know, I mean, but it's for the Lord, and this is his spoil because he's talking about religion, right? Because he's saying, I did a good work, so it doesn't matter if I didn't do what God said. Just as long as it's religious, you should accept it. Well, well he says, no, 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 home, homeboy. He says, obedience is better than sacrifice. In other words, you were looking for the sacrifice to work out and be a fog for the fact that you were living foul. But what I'm telling you right now is you got to do what God says, not your manufactured philosophy of religiosity. 
Many of us want to create ways to walk with God, being all innovative and new and cool. No. What did he say? He didn't say, do that, fam. He said, do this. Yeah, that's good. That's good things. Walking in obedience to God is the way we walk with God. Bible said, Enoch walked with God. Genesis 5, 24, and it says, and, and, and he was not, for the Lord took him. Oh, that's beautiful. Now, that doesn't mean that Enoch was perfect. That means that he walked in concert with God. He talked with God a lot. The Hebrew there means to get along with God. That means him and God got along. Him and God had a good relationship. That means when Enoch messed up, he talked to God about it. He didn't act foul about it and act like, am I my brother's keeper? The woman you gave me. Oh, my God. He didn't say that to him. He said, God, it's me, oh, me, oh, Lord, that's standing in the need of prayer. So what he would do is when walking with God doesn't mean you're perfect, it means that you allow God in on everything in your life. He didn't have any compartmentalization of his spirituality. He said, God, all of me is yours. And God liked the relationship that he had with Enoch so much that he said, I'm going to do a pre-rapture with this cat. Clack out. Um, and, and all of a sudden, Enoch family like, where'd Enoch go? He said, he was not, for God took him. Oh, my God. And so walking with God, we see the beauty of the benefits of walking with God. See, see, and now notice this is applied to unity. That's the context of the passage. See, the context of unity is, is here that there should be a community of people called the church that are simultaneously wanting God and are walking in obedience to that God. Everybody, not this special group of people that's on fire for the Lord. Like all the new Christians, they get become new. Christ new to them. Wait, give them some time. Hey, the devil is all kinds of a liar right there. Listen, listen, being on fire is not a special group of people that like to pray a lot and like to be in the Bible a lot, and like to share the gospel a lot, and they don't really know, so they got to live a little longer to be hurt by Christianity enough so that they won't be as on fire for God anymore. Why? Because, that, because Christianity is not all you think it is based on your novice nature of how you're relating to it. But listen, uh, 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 being on fire for God is for all of God's people, all of us. That should be a natural. God said, I would that you would be uh, hot or cold, well, well. not lukewarm, Laodicea. In other, in other words, this is beautiful. Oh, I wish I had time for it. But, 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 what, what, but, but, but God is so contextual. God is so contextual. See, there was a pipeline that came into Laodicea, two pipelines, and there were springs. There was a cold spring, and there was a hot spring. Now, by the time it got, the pipeline got to the city to bring the water to the city, they didn't like it because the original purpose for the water being brought in was messed up because the pipe changed the temperature of the water. So the water was lukewarm and they were getting rid of the water because they didn't like it. God was doing the same thing with them. He said, listen, he said, I want you just like you like hot and cold water. I like, I'd rather you just be cold towards me or hot towards me. I need hot folk or I need hot. See, God is like this. I like to know where you are. Don't be fronting like me and you cool and we not. So, so to walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called means to be obedient and devoted to God and to walk with God as a community. 1 Kings chapter 8, you don't have to turn to 61. Let your heart therefore be wholly devoted to the Lord your God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. 1 Kings 11:4. he says, when, and for when Solomon was old, his wife turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not wholly, there it is again, devoted to the Lord his God. First Chronicles 16, 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Oh my goodness. Listen, the beautiful thing about being in Christ is we're empowered to be devoted. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So God isn't sending no new anointing on your life. He's not going to take you into a new season. Listen, the season that he wants you to be consistently in uh, um, is to walk with God. Um, so I want my season. It's coming now. No, why don't you walk with God in this season? 
You want something new. You want to upgrade in your life. But the greatest upgrade you can have is spiritual growth. Walk with them. Walk with them. Talk with them. Tell them all about your troubles. See, if I was in my Baptist church, they'd be, oh, my God, help me. Anyway, I got to move, Doc. I got to move. Okay, we got to get past that word. Okay, walk. We talked about walk. I got to move. Walk walk worthy. Stop on worthy. Say worthy. Oh, my God. This is good right here. In other words, worthy means prove to God that he didn't save you for nothing. Show God that his salvation on your life and his investment um, is, 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 in other words, ah, the word literally means to tip the scales. See, it's beautiful here because he's saying the weight of the way he called you, let your life equal it. In other, in, other, in other words, don't, don't get excited about the information. Get excited about the information causing sanctification, which causes transformation. That, that's the goal of it. So it's not, it's, not, it's not just you being a good spitter with information, but the question is, are you passionate about transformation? When you walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called, you walk in concert with your calling, therefore not having a substandard way of living that reflects not the world's philosophy, but God's philosophy. Now, what's beautiful about this is the gospel has done this for us to help us to be empowered, to be able to live it out. God is not just giving requirements out and waiting to look at us to fail. He set you up to win. He set you up to win. Therefore, it is a demand and calling on your life to walk in the one who won for us. Because we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from it. Victory is already done. We just got some battles to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so even when Jesus Christ comes back, what I like about it is we won't have to pick up a sword. He'll fight. The Bible says he just opens his mouth and just fights. He just, ah, he just, swords just come out. Hey, I got to go. Walk, quick, quick. Where are we going to go, my guy? And we standing there looking fly in our linen. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. <laughs> so he says, walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. This word kaleo here has been used throughout it in relation to walking worthy of the calling of God. And it's talking about our calling to salvation. Because our calling to salvation has value, we should reflect that value in how we walk with Jesus. First, that's 2.12. says something interesting in relation to this phraseology. It says, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Second Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 1.11, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of the calling, of his calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith with power. Colossians 1.10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What's the, so, so, so here, walking worthy of the calling to which we've been called looks like bearing fruit. Now, this is not the same as John 15 bearing fruit in, in, in the sense of soul fruit. In other words, in other words the, 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 the carpos of God in our soul, fruit of the Spirit, based on Galatians 5, uh, 22 uh, uh, through 24. This is talking about the results of God working through us, of us tracing his heart and not his hand and beautifully seeing God work and bear fruit in the actions of God's people loaded together, walking in unity to see him bring to fruition what is the hope and the vision that he had before the foundations of the earth. So listen to what it says. This is bearing fruit in every good work. That means God's hand is regularly on you doing stuff. And Joseph was in the house of Potiphar, and the Lord was with him. And and Joseph was in prison, and the Lord was with him. And and there there was such a notice that God was with him that unbelievers looked at him and said, my God, my God, God's hand, to the point where he remembered, Potiphar remembered God's hand on him, got him him up into into Egypt before um, the Pharaoh and became the vice president of Egypt. Not because of his coolness, not because of his flyness, 
um, but because of God's hand on him. But because he wasn't looking for God's hand, he was looking for his heart. And so when we talk about this idea of walking worthy of the manner which we've been called, now he gives characteristics what that looks like. So everything that comes after in these next few words are interesting. They're very, very powerful words. Some of them are the parts of the fruits of, of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. But then we see the connectivity to Jesus and how he describes himself, right? So it says right here, it says in verse, it says in verse 2, it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Because now we see this is the way unity happens in the local community when Christians walk in these characteristics together, empowered by Jesus Christ. Now, we look at the first word, humility. Say humility. Humility is interesting because it doesn't mean that you degrade yourself. See, that's self-worship, which is pride. There's no such thing as false humility. There's just pride and humility. We always create new words to get around calling ourselves a sinner in an area of our life. Not false humility. Um... Pride. Right? We got all kinds of, we innovative, you know what I'm saying? But humility, humility is that posture of the soul. Just think about that, posture of the soul. Where you agree with God concerning his view of you in Christ and without Christ. Agreeing with God who he says you are with Christ and without Christ. <laughs> that means that you, <coughs> that you don't downgrade, you don't over-downgrade yourself, and you don't, over -ex you don't exalt yourself, right? <clears throat> Self-exaltation is pride. Self-humiliation is pride, right? So I, I like the way one of my mentors said it. He says, humility is nothing to gain and nothing to lose. Wow. So humility is a grateful and spontaneous awareness that life is a gift, and it is manifest as an ungrudging and unhypocritical acknowledgement of absolute dependence upon God. Humility is the appropriate response of the sinner in the presence of the holiness of God. That, that, so that means when you get in the presence of God, you don't front like everything's okay. That, that, that means as you become before God, like when Isaiah got before God, he said, oh my God. He said, I am undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. So he looked up and said, when you, you know when you've seen God. You know that you've experienced God. Well, when you get around him and get in the presence of his holiness, you see him rightly and you see yourself rightly. And what's beautiful about that is that's when God can work. Because when he called himself a mess, God came and cleaned him up. But if he'd have gotten God's presence and said, I'm not a mess, he wouldn't have done nothing with him. He probably would have struck his behind because he didn't see himself like he saw him. He was rocked by God, shook by God, and, and blown away by him to the point where he said, God, God is, I'm, I'm here, but, but I, don't, I can't believe that I'm in your presence and I haven't been shattered. He said, okay, I'm going to cleanse this cat right here. And then he's going to say, who can go for us? Who said, who can go, who has believed our report? Who, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In other words, it's near prophecy and far prophecy. Pointing to Isaiah going out and being his missionary, but pointing ultimately to Jesus, who would be the arm of God. Because he's on the right hand of, oh my God, of God the Father Almighty. So as a humility is a quality of voluntary submission and unselfishness and self-abasement. So we look at Understanding humility as a characteristic of God's people. Our attitudes towards one another, right? Because he says, with humility, this is how you count. So worthy of the calling with what you've been called. Walking in it, right? Then gentleness. Say gentleness. Now, gentleness is an interesting word coupled with humility. Because in, in the Bible, in, in Luke, I mean, I'm sorry, Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus Christ says something in that pericope that's interesting. He says, come to me. All you who are burdened and heavy laden. And he said, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Why? That's the key. For I am humble and gentle in actions. That's not what he said. I'm humble and gentle at heart. 
and you will find rest for your soul. Who is he talking to? A bunch of people that was around Pharisees. And Pharisees said, I do this to please God. I do. And so they give this list of legalism that shows them why they should be in a relationship with God and why they know that they're in a relationship with God, even though God, they're talking and God's not. Jesus says, forget them cats. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Now, what's beautiful about that is he says the characteristic of walking with me is that I'm meek and I'm, I'm gentle. In other words, I view myself rightly. See, I don't view myself like they don't view themselves rightly. They're sinners. I'm not a sinner, and I view myself as not one because I'm the only one that's never sinned and will never sin because I'm the eternal God in human flesh. So, therefore, take my yoke upon you because I'm perfect. Number two, I'm gentle. Now we're going to see why. Gentleness is the quality of not being overtly impressed by one's sense of self-importance. You're considerate of others. That means you don't want, you, in other words, a gentle person doesn't want everything built around themselves. In other words, we want Christianity contextualized to our own personal preferences. Ah. But gentleness doesn't do that. Gentleness also points to handling people with care. Handling people with care, right? It, it comes from a heart of empathy that is nourished and nurtured by the gospel. And so when we talk about this idea of, of, of nourishing, it, it points us to a beautiful idea, which we're going to get to in just a second. So this, this understanding of meekness points to showing mercy and grace towards someone that we'd want, but in the full sense of the word, not in a compartmentalized sense of the word. Now, I'll explain that in a second. Then he says, and with patience. I like that. Now, see, reason, but I, don't, I like it, but I don't like it. Because I lived in, I lived in um, the South for a little while after I left the East Coast. I slowed down a little bit. You know, cars drive slower. They drive actually speed limit. Um, lived down that joint for a while. You know, it was cool, man. I was like, man. Tranquility, you know what I'm saying? Got back to the East Coast. Hey! I'm going to tell you what, what, what did it for me. I'm driving down Broad Street. My light's green. I'm just talking about what my light was. I don't know what nobody else light was. Mine was green. Soon as the light turned green, but their light was red to do. Walked across the street. I'm like, Burr! I wrote down, hey, no patience. No patience. So I need to be worked on in that area, you know what I'm saying? I'm just telling y'all, my wife was like, Dad, babe, babe, the kids, the, Manny's going to be, then Manny starts, hey, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, he like, he like, man, you, you know, you, you know, you transferring that mess to the boys, and then Nehemiah's in the car yelling, you know what I'm saying? My youngest, so... And so I'm like, man, I'm so impatient. And if many of you would agree with me, you're not either. You're not either. You know, but, but, but patience is how we should be so that we can give it to others. Now, patience means a state of remaining tranquil while awaiting a divine outcome. <laughs> I wish I could preach just on that. In other words, having a tranquility even though God hasn't worked yet. Patience is the ability to stay where you are, even though God doesn't want you to stay where you are. And his clock hasn't ticked for you to move yet. And so how do you act when God's slow to move? See, how do you react when God seems slow? See, that's how you know where you are spiritually. If God ain't come through like you wanted to, and then you start improvising, that's called sin. You, when, see, when God don't do stuff when you want him to do, what you begin doing is you start being innovative and in, doing improvisation like you're on the lyricist lounge or something, or you had an open mic like, you know, you want, we got, just got open mic Christianity, you know what I'm saying? Open mic. Whoever wants to come up, come on, and then they just start, I mean, that ain't how Christianity work. We don't improvise. We glorify. I wish I had help today. Because listen, some of you are somewhere, I'm not supposed to, I'm not supposed to say this, but, oh, it's in the text. Help me. Some of you are in a place right now where you're frustrated that God hasn't moved yet. And God is saying, wait for my divine outcome. Don't work your jelly. You're working your jelly, putting on extra lipstick and stuff. 
few more squirts of perfume. Iota. And God is saying, let me work. He that finds a wife finds a good thing and finds favor with the Lord. Help me, God. I wasn't able to give that as an application. That was just for free. But let me just tell you something. God wants you to wait on him. And when he does it, he does it better than your manufacturing skills can. <laughs> I wish somebody would hear me up in this church today. And the beauty of this is this is supposed to be applied with other Christians. It's supposed to be applied. It also means the ability to restrain oneself from unrighteous anger. An agitation that is motivated by unbridled discontentment with where the Lord has you in this particular season. Help me, God. Ah, we need help, man. I don't know about you, but I do. It means forbearance. Then it says bearing with one another, right? Now, these are unity principles. Remember, unity principles. So this can apply to us individually, but it's a corporate philosophy, right? Bearing with one another. Now, the word bearing with one another plays with the word patience. This is one of the one another, meaning tolerant. Now, we're not, going, we're not right wing and we're not left wing here. We're Christ thing. So tolerance does not mean you're, you're unbridled liberal. Who cares about being liberal and all of that, right? We're talking about biblical, right? So, uh, so, so but tolerance here points to the idea and can apply to the idea of bearing with someone that's not in, an, in a habitual state of sin. This, 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 is, this is where we understand this. Bearing with one another, and I'll go to the Galatians 6, 1 in a second. But this idea of bearing with other people, it has the idea of someone struggling. And, and they're struggling, and they say, I really need your help. Help me. I'm struggling with my sin. Will you walk with me? I know I'm, I know I'm, I'm confessing it to you, but I'm telling you, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm lost in this. Can you walk with me? And whenever that person's continue in that sin, while they're broken and in tears and wanting God's help, you bear with that person, right? But the Bible talks about if someone is unrepentant, bearing with them, if you let them, if you let them continue to do that, will be enabling them to continue in sin. Oh, I wish I had help right now. And, and so, so when, you, when you bear with someone, you, you put all of the facets of biblical tolerance into its play. Bearing with someone means actually applying God's truth, not being a sucker, not being just a place of venting without no desire for transformation. So there's two sides to the coin. There's two sides to the coin. You have to, you, you, you deal, you bear with the unrepentant and you're called to bear with the repentant. You bear with the unrepentant by taking them through a process. You deal, you, 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 you deal with the repentant by taking them through a process. Those processes look differently, but both of them point to biblical love because it says bearing with them in love. Now, this idea does not mean to submit oneself to the abuse of others. You're just going to abuse me, and I'm just going to bear with you, right? Unrepentant, right? Nor does it mean that someone could habitually sin, confess, and walk in unrepentant sin, and we enable and facilitate their ability to dishonor God in the, in the name of a false sense of grace, love, gentleness, humility, gospel-centeredness, and patience. Because know what God is? Know, what God, know how God bore with us? He sent his son to a cross. He didn't just say, well, I'm going to just keep walking with them until they sin. No. You know what he said? He said, I'm going to walk with them by sending my son to walk with them, and then I'm going to kill him. Allow him to be killed because it plea, it was, he was pleased to crush him. He was pleased to crush him. But know what he does? He deals with the actual issue of the sin. He doesn't overlook the sin, calling it grace. Because grace is to look at the sin and to deal with the sin. And see, that's a biblical understanding of grace, love, and mercy. Love someone enough to deal with them. And you know, I, when I was a youth pastor about uh, 15 years ago, I love being a youth pastor. Um, I had one of my, my children's workers. He was, I mean, youth worker. He was a monster in the scriptures. Monstrosity. R counseling. Kids liked him. Crazy. One day, this cat just disappears. I'm like, 
And I get a phone call in my office. E, what's up, man? I said, what's up, dog? What's, what's good, man? How you been, man? We looking for you. I'm in rehab. Like, okay, man, what you need, man? What we need to do, put some, some stuff in your commissary account? What you need me to do? He said, well, I need you to come get me. I said, what you mean? How long have you been in? A week. How long was the program? Six months. So, so what, what are you asking me to do again? Come get me. I said, um, let me speak to the super, I said, why do you want to leave? Because they got unbiblical tactics of teaching me how to get out of the sin of drug abuse. And I showing them how to minister to me through these verses. I said, I said, what? Let me speak to the director. I talked to the director. He said, yeah, this cat Wilder. He's, he said, he's a drug addict currently on crack trying to minister to the other crack addicts. I said, dog, that's not what you're here for. Give him the phone. Give him the I said, you're not, that's what you're in there for, man. He's, I said, I said, he said, I want to just come stay with you and the wife, man, and y'all kind of walk with me. I said, no, nah, you're not coming in my house, fam, with a current drug addict. Addict. You're not coming in. Nah. I thought we were supposed to love each other. I said, I am loving you by not giving you what you want. Keep your behind in there. Well, I'm going to get kicked out. I said, well, get kicked out. I said, but you're going to have to follow, the, follow what they tell you to do because how can you be so sick and try to mend somebody else's issues? So tolerance, some, sometimes loving someone means not loving them like they want you to love them. Oh, I wish I had some help in here. Um, because we got preferential ways that we... See, you got somebody in your family that's like that. You know what I'm saying? You got Uncle Boo. Uh, you know, always, you know, he... Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had some time. Galatians 6.1. I'm going to read this. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you, are, you who are spiritual should restore. That means to mend. Him in a spirit of, there's that word, gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If someone is having a struggle in this context, that means the person who's caught is actually, listen, responsive to confrontation. And therefore, you're able to mend, right? That's the point of the passage. And so when we talk about bearing with one another, the same idea, of course, with bearing with one another is Colossians chapter 3.13, which it says, bearing with one another. And if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So, so what we talk about is when we bear with people, we don't bear with them holding bitterness in our heart while we're walking with them because we're unforgiving towards them. If they're repentant and if they're responsive to help, then what you have to do is you have to apply it immediately. But even when they've sinned and they haven't done it, you forgive them in the posture of your heart because the Bible says in, in Gen, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, it says that the root of bitterness sprouting up defiles many. many. Uh, what, what bitterness is, is this, uh, is this fermented unforgiveness that's sat on the shelf too long and has been allowed to get a stench at it. That's bitterness, right? So you're commanded to forgive even if someone doesn't repent. And it's for you and not them. So that's how the body should react. This is how we do unity, right? And it says, in love, seeking love is seeking the highest good for someone in the eyes of God based on the word of God. Seeking the highest good of a person, right? Now, now, let me close on this. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the perfect bond of peace. I like this. The word here, eager, means zealous, passionate. That means you work hard to make sure that in the community of Christ, there's unity. That means you don't work against unity. You work with God's people to maintain unity. Now, notice he says maintain because we've been positionally given unity in Christ. But now that has to be maintained through service. In other words, when you have a car, you got a new car and it's nice, but you better go in and get the oil changed. I know a, a, a guy, a guy had a brand new uh, 560 SEC back in the day. Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. Mercedes. Nasty joint. You know what I'm saying? And taking some kids on a trip, driving, and all of a sudden he gets in an accident. Why? Because the engine locked up on him. 
because he went 10,000 miles without getting the oil change. Now it needs an entire new engine because he didn't do maintenance. Be eager to maintain. If you don't maintain like we're supposed to, we will have chronic issues that demands more surgery than if we would have just maintained it. So God wants to help us, right? So eager to, to, to in other words, a sense of obligation to take pains, to fight for it. Romans 12, 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord, right? And, and maintain, of course, means uh, uh, to keep watch over, to guard, to keep something unharmed and undisturbed. And this is what we're supposed to do together. Of the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, who's the one who actually made us unified, based on chapter 2 and chapter 1, verse 14. Then it says the bond of peace. Now, this is how God emulsifies us together, the things that we've seen. So he says the goal of this is to keep the perfect bond of peace. Now, this is very, very important because peace here is the word irene. Irene. And it points back to the word shalom. <clears throat> now, this is not us being missional right here, going out and ministering to other people. That's not the peace we're talking about here. This is talking about the community of missionaries who love one another, who bear with one another, who are humble towards one another, and patient with one another, and apply what it means to keep, to keep what God has put in place uh, tranquil. That doesn't mean we don't disagree. That doesn't mean we don't have confrontations. But the role in everything we do is to, is to be a mending agent. Right, let me see if I can make it, make it plain. I, I, you know, I live right around the corner, and I love my college students. I love y'all. But um, somebody decided <clears throat> that he was going to do karaoke in his backyard one night at 3 a.m. Now, I got kids. You know, I got a young, young, young buck, and he needs to sleep through the night. Um, because he's going to wrestle with us like Jacob and the Lord if he don't uh, get some sleep. So, Kat, you know, out there and dudes, you know, dancing and carrying on. I'm like, what? No. I, 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 I pull up my shades. I'm like, yo, what are you doing? I, I bet you. I, listen, making all kinds of noise, disturbing the peace, right? And, and, and the harmony of what it means to be a neighborhood and community is disturbed because someone looked out for themselves and not everybody else. That's what it means to fight for the perfect bond of peace. In other words, peace is not just for you. It's for all of us together. That, that's a very, very important thing. So he says, you're eager to maintain this. But there are three things that destroy peace in the church. Now, we saw that Pastor um, Blake, who came through a few weeks ago, talked about the fact that sex is talked about in almost every epistle. But what's also talked about almost in every epistle is disunity. And so there was, a, there was a need to deal with unity issues because if we're not walking together, we can't work together. Because how can two walk together and they not agree? Right? So, 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 so we see three, three areas that, that tear up the church. We see gossip. Slander and division. Gossip. Now let's, let's define gossip. Communicating information about someone without it being motivated by a commitment to see change in the life of the one being discussed. So if you start running your mouth, instead of you running your mouth to somebody else, you should have went to that person and talked to them. But the moment you begin spreading about them something you haven't talked to them about, even if it's true, then guess what they do? Go tell somebody. Don't tell nobody now. It's between me and you. Me and you talking. You know how we do. Yeah, man. Got you. Yo, guess what I just heard? Don't tell nobody. It's between me and you. Guess what I just heard? Now you got a web of people talking about a person and nobody's went to the person. And so what happens is people develop a view of them when if that, the first person would have shut their mouth and biblically went to the person they talked about, it would have maintained the bond of unity. Second, slander. Slander, spreading untruths about someone or spreading unfounded and uninvestigated claims. That's diabolic, the Greek word is. Means devil stuff, right? Lying. Then division, the act of causing tears in the peace that Christ has secured on the cross by rifts uh, between God's people in the church. We got Proverbs 6. Titus 2, 3, 8 through 10, Romans 16, 17 through 18. I could go many more. 
But God calls, whenever there's a cause of division among God's people, Proverbs 6 calls it an abomination before God and that the Lord hates it. And so he's calling us based on this text to be a community that keeps short accounts. That means to keep the perfect bond of peace means we're going to work against not working. We're going to not work with the devil to destroy God's people. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 through 16, they said, if anyone tries to destroy God's church, I will destroy him. And so what happens is, is now our desire, biblically, is to be a community that fights for unity. That means we're going to fight with it. We're not going to be trigger-happy, lacking commitment. In other words, some of us are church hoppers. And so what happens is, is we, 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 when we see a lack of peace somewhere, we run from it instead of being a solution. So what we need to do, we need to begin, maybe God moves you on, that's fine, but, but wherever you go, lock in somewhere and be, a, be committed to, don't tell me about where well, the church does this all the time. In the church, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear it unless you're just hurting about it and you need shepherding through it. But if you just come in here and you know, usually in the church, usually in the church, well, what do you usually do with it? See, see, you've been empowered as a community, every last one of you who are believers, to be fighters for unity. Fighters. And we fight for, we don't get slothful in zeal, we pursue it with excellence and eagerness. And what God begins to do is he links us up and makes us of the same mind. Not merely compliant, but, 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 but to make us emulsified and actually wanting to be together. It's not just, I was talking about some this about, you know, I, I was somewhere, I was talking to somebody about this earlier. I, you know what I say when I don't like where I am? God has me here. God just has me here. Yeah, that's the only reason. I want to not only, see, that's what patience does. See, patience isn't just that God has me someplace, but that I want to be where God is. And therefore, I am married to the heart of God through how I'm wherever he has me, so that it's not just a, a, a volitional action, but is an intent of the heart and a passion to be where he wants me, to love who God's called us to love, and to commit to him beautifully and commit to God's people. So I pray today that we will be those type of people, by God's grace, to be a committed community that walks in what it means to walk in unity. What a great word for us to be able to apply to our lives and to be obedient in and to see God bring massive amounts of transformation in our lives. Father, we thank you for the mercy of Christ, which rules all things, transforms all things, gives us wisdom. We thank you that Jesus Christ said his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and this is the way in which um, you, have, you have surrounded us and developed us to be able to be a people for your glory and for your honor and for your praise. We're excited about that, God. We're excited about that. And Lord God, help us to be good fighters. Help us to fight fair too. In Jesus' name. And God, we're, 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 going, to, we're going to bless you as you continue to develop us and to knit us together as a transformed community of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that? Say it. Amen.